Bitcoin only generates prosperity, not despair. Mm -hmm. If everyone were to switch to Bitcoin tomorrow, everyone would experience prosperity, not despair. Yep. Okay, would the central bank implode? Sure. <laughs> but would we experience prosperity or despair, which is essentially what we're talking about? We would experience prosperity. Welcome to the Tucson Bitcoin Podcast. Today, my guest is Shishi, and I think this is a really important conversation. So Shishi uh, has taken the step of moving towards homesteading and creating his own food, which I think is an incredibly important topic right now as supply chains are just getting completely demolished uh, due to stupid government action. And then also as the food supply is getting ever more consolidated as the government intervenes in markets and just makes it impossible for smaller scale uh, farmers to exist. I just think it's incredibly important that we start making our food, our own food. And this is something that I've been working on uh, and want to be talking about at the local Bitcoin meetups is how do we push back against this just Leviathan or awful system, which is government subsidies and interventions in our food supply and which creates fiat food. So this is something, you know, I'm, I'm really passionate about and stoked on. I'm, I'm going to be having more people on the podcast going forward on this topic. But yeah, we got into the weeds and, you know, one of the things we talked about later on in the podcast was, you know, how real these narratives, you know, kind of scapegoating people are just really, really destructive. And it, it, I've taken kind of a lackadaisical approach to when people in media uh, like to point the finger at Bitcoiners and, and call us, you know, negative names. And, you know, what ultimately is happening is we're moving into a very dangerous place and something Shishi brought up and, and changed my mind on is like it's not something I can be taking lackadaisically because you know bad really awful things can happen as a result of scapegoating and dehumanization so that's you know also a topic I'm going to be discussing in the podcast in the future is just you know we have to dismantle these narratives like Bitcoin is not going to be the cause of a financial collapse it's going to be awful government central planning it's these maniacs in positions of power that decide that oh in a year we can expand the money supply by uh 40% or we're going to wage these endless wars and just continue printing and printing and printing and stealing from the lower and middle classes as well as you know raising taxes raising regulations killing any sort of economic productivity like that that is the problem and bitcoin is the escape hatch you know it's it's the lifeboat in this situation and so i think that's a narrative that i'm going to try and be more proactive in combating um on twitter and you know in other places but yeah awesome interview with shishi i hope you enjoy it cool we're recording good to have you on seat shishi hell uh, yeah good to be here so yeah the the past i don't know six months has been really interesting for me waking up to the importance of uh localizing uh food production uh or at least that's the way i see it and kind of getting away from these massive uh um corporations like tyson and you know i, I don't know what to call it the the agricultural industrial complex uh might be a good way to put it but yeah, I'm stoked to kind of pick your mind because you've been on this journey for a little bit longer than I have uh, working on that. So yeah, what what got you into uh, homesteading and that mindset? 
Yeah, so like um re rewind a few years back, uh maybe like six years back, seven years back, I was coming out of college and I had a finance degree. And I got that just to like uh bide my time, right? Um and I was offered, you know, all these like investment banking jobs. Uh I I like I rejected those because I didn't want to work in an office. Everyone thought I was crazy, but then I decided to travel the world, you know, um, with just my backpack, a tent and a sleeping bag. I've slept in that tent and that sleeping bag <laughs> for, for a year, man. And, um, and I just toured different farms. And in, in between working on farms, I just, uh, and literally just working for free, I just wanted to learn. And so in between that, I was traveling the world. And when I was traveling, I would, <laughs> I would seek out other farms, even when I was like on vacation. You know, I'd want to like stay on like some eco-tourist thing or, you know, something to do with food. Right. And I traveled for just a full year like that. And then I decided that's what I want to do. And then it just took me time. Like, I'm like, all right, but I need to have like a lot more money if I want to do it in America, you know? And my goal was to accomplish this in the U S because I think here it's like, there's a lot of space and there's not enough knowledge that was passed down, you know, but there is the space right? And there is the people with the means to do so, like the actual <clears throat> means to do so. Because when you're in, in Africa or whatnot, in sub-Saharan Africa, and you go to these places, like they're already like subsistence farming, right? Like when I was in Uganda, and I'm seeing them subsistence farming, like, yeah, they can still deal with some, they, they have a lot of permaculture tips that they're not using, you know, but they're still counting on this for their life. So they're more inclined to be implementing these things. And, and they're already they're already doing it kind of, right? Um, their problem is more like storing water. Our problem here is actually just doing it, right? And so the quality of the food was what really got me. I'm, you know, you go to the supermarket, it's garbage. You live on a farm for two months. You're like, wait, this is what a cucumber tastes like. This is what a tomato tastes like. This is what, you know, you know, if you're on a farm that also slaughters their own chickens, animals, whatever, you know, you have the eggs, you have, it all tastes completely different, right? Having real cider, not from a can, like from, like I made my own cider from these special apples in Spain, like amazing, you know, and it, it's life-changing. It just changes your whole mindset of like, Oh, like how, how would a, how would a wealthy person 200 years ago, look at a wealthy person today living in New York in his little cubicle, you know, I don't probably like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you know, eating your, you know, you're drinking your government water, drinking, eating your government food and working for your government money. And no matter how much money you have, man, the food and the water quality has just been degrading. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It really doesn't, you know? And then there's this renaissance, the farmer's markets, the small farm instead. And I want to be part of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. I, I think a lot of people lack the context of what food is like outside of the United States. Um, I spent a couple months in Peru, and it was amazing how, like, my skin just was so different and healthy and I just felt so healthy eating, you know, the food compared to the U S and when, when you say it's garbage, I, I think when people hear food in the U S is garbage, they think of, uh, you know, all the processed stuff, but they don't also really think about the, the fruits and vegetables that have been and the meats that have been so heavily, uh, ruined, I guess would be a good word. Ruined. Ruined. And, and that ruin is just a very simple concoction, right? Of, chemical plant warfare essentially and monoculture so 
they're taking chemicals to fight uh, diseases and pests when essentially it should, that should just be integrated into any good system, right? Like nature is pretty smart. <laughs> with some, some things there, it's there because you're missing something, not because you need to spray it with chemicals, right? And so, you know, permaculture is just a rabbit hole within of itself, as is Bitcoin, right? And that, that all ties together for me, you know, like, how do you get away from the non-government version of everything you're doing? And the food is, is government food for the most part in the supermarkets, because that's where the subsidies are, right? Follow the money, right? So I think that motivates me. I mean, like you said, my skin, when I have mineral water, I have mineral water from the earth, from the mountains, you know, and my skin isn't, you know, it's definitely, I've been here for like over a year. There's a, there's, there's a definitely a difference, you know? And when I go drink water out, I'm not happy with it. I usually take my water with me. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's been really fun to watch the Bitcoin community kind of latch on to this uh, mentality. And it seems like, I, I don't know if it's always been a thing, but for me becoming aware of it over the past, you know, six months or so, it's breaking things back down, you know, to first principles. And like we have everybody focusing on healthcare and, and, you know, just health in general from kind of a ridiculous, like nine one one mentality of like, you know, we need to fix the hospitals and, you know, fix insurance and, and stuff like that versus like going back to the basics of like, we need to fix the food so that people can be healthier and have less issues. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, my goals are simple with this stuff. Very simple. I have two and a half acres. I'm trying to grow a food forest type permaculture, you know, vegetable and fruit garden over here. Um, using all the compost that I make, you know, I use, I'm, I'm starting a pretty big uh, worm composting operation to help with that. And my goal is to save as much heirloom seed as I can that makes sense, you know, and create a sort of seed bank and then start trading with people, mm. right? And start creating a community of trade. And I think that's some, it's, you know, somebody calls it, I forgot who wrote that article, but it's called a mesh today where you know some people everyone's talking about citadels where everyone comes up on one piece of land or whatever and shares it but i think the mesh citadel is much more obvious obviously like a, a good model that won't implode in your face so everyone has their own land in some sort of vicinity we can all trade and with seeds i can ship them all over the country or all over the world even right so i kind of think that's sort of where i want to be you know uh, untapped growth is with the cattle uh bitcoin and cows also the cattle there's a bunch of people doing the rotational grazing stuff um i don't have enough land to do that um i only have two and a half acres but i want to show people that maybe already have the place that they're living in they don't want to change it um or they just want two and a half acres and they want to live closer to the city or whatever right because everyone has a different value system or how they want to live their lives there isn't a cookie cutter like there isn't like a single bitcoin vision there's bitcoiners and we all address problems but then there's all the nuance and all your satisfaction that you need for yourself right which is very specific to you right like i'm in north carolina you're in arizona um the other guy's going to be in texas and so i think like having mesh tadels where we can all share and trade that's that's what i'm really after um and, sh- and also like these two and a half acres i'm farming with no no machinery just my hands hand tools so wheelbarrows you know and it's a it's a no dig and no till system so i don't need to till my nothing you know i don't need any of that stuff so I'm just building soil from the top down, 
and um, I'm doing so with mulch and, and worm castings, essentially. That's my main two ingredients and grass, cut grass, you know, and then obviously all the biomass from all the vegetables and all the stuff that I'm, and fruits that I'm growing. Um, and yeah, I, I basically saved this two and a half acres because this would have been developed because um, it's like the only flat area in the mountains over here. And so this would have been like three, three more homes. Instead, I like just saved these two and a half acres, which have been cleared a long time ago. So it was perfectly cleared land already. And so I'm going to bring it back to life by growing trees and different stuff like that, you know? And then, um, and yeah, so that's just like a little recap of what I'm doing over here. But yeah, it's super important. And I think the Bitcoin overlap is one of the most interesting things that I think drew me more to Bitcoin. Like if it, if it didn't have that, like, when I first got onto Bitcoin Twitter and became, became more active, I saw that people were coalescing around untapped growth. And I was really excited to see that because I hadn't seen any other group of people be excited about that. You know, I'll be at a dinner table and people will ask me, what am I doing? And I would start telling them, they'll be like, not interested. Talk to a Bitcoiner. Dude, you want to you talk to me for an hour on your podcast? You know, like, it's like a lot of people want to talk to me for an hour about this stuff, but they're Bitcoiners. It's like, 100% overlap almost, you know, because I think the don't trust verify is just ingrained in people who are after the truth. So, yeah, yeah, totally. And, and I love what you said earlier about um, just opting out from the state as much as possible. <laughs> like we don't want the government food. And I think that's huge. The, the mesh to Dell uh, model is super interesting. Uh, I'm definitely as interested as possible of like finding different ways to to work around the state and opt out and the idea of like being able to trade with people uh like for for me and you to potentially be able to trade seeds you know or, or different uh products is, is really really fascinating and uh powerful and it seems like bitcoin is just such a inherent part of of doing something like that which is cool yeah it's like not only seeds like let's say you want to start worm composting right mm -hmm. and and worms are great because you can feed them to your chickens you can go fishing with them right as bait like there's so many you can feed them there's just and they also make your compost right so it's like it's like this amazing system right and so yeah i can all like i'm just trying to trade with people essentially as much as possible that have that share the same ethos and what you can like i'm crazy about things that come onto the farm there's zero industrial products that come onto this farm i don't even use cardboard you can see online gardeners youtube Hey, how to start a no-till garden bed? Everyone uses cardboard. I refuse. It's an industrial product. I don't want it in my land. You know, I don't know what they spray on it. I don't know how they make it like that. I don't, I can't verify it myself fully. And I don't really care to. I just use wood chips, leaves. I use with grass. I use whatever is here, you know. And then that's real permaculture, essentially, right? Um, I get the wood chips delivered to me for free, but that's just because it's convenient for the tree trimmers. And that's one thing to take into account when you do look at your at your citadel or you know your homestead you want to take into account all the variables because being far away is really great if you have a lot of acres and you have all of the machinery and stuff to like cut down some trees and use the chips and you know like and kind of you know untapped growth and ben gunner talking about doing something like that in texas you know and i think that's very that's very commendable but if you're not the type of person to be part of a citadel with a bunch of people and you want to have like you know just kind of want to be in a mesh citadel where you have your own space you don't want to commingle all the time with people then you have to take into account the pros and the cons of being further or closer away, right? Which there's cons of being closer, super big cons, but there's also some pros, right? Like I get all my wood chips for free dumped, 
you know, and I don't do anything for them. They just come dump them. I just, you know, and I just take them and move them if I need to, but <clears throat> yeah, there's so much good, good things to happen. And like, I believe that Bitcoin that the, and the ethos around verifying is just going to spread. So the mesh Chadel, what happens is you're going to, you're going to have like relay points around the country and around the world where it's going to get closer and closer. Those relay points, so maybe me and you're in Arizona right now and there's not much in between us, but as time comes, like we're going to have like, Oh yeah, I got this from Tuxin. And now I'm going to, I'll send you some of that. Cause I already have, he sent me a little too much and, and I'll send you, and she, she's going to send you like, you know, some crazy fucking, I don't know, some crazy potatoes for you, for you to grow next year or something, you know? So I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. it. This is something that, you know, I'm trying to talk more and more about at uh, our local Bitcoin meetups too, is like, how do we start networking together? Um, we're not all on one plot of land, but I think it can happen locally as well. I, I just see the importance of, you know, building out these strong networks. It, it's absolutely vital right now because um, I don't, I don't really believe there's such thing as a sovereign individual, but I believe there's sovereign communities and it, what it comes down to ultimately is like the division of labor. Like we're not all going to be experts on every single topic. Um, no. Yeah. But we should all be, I think if everyone was trying to grow their own food on some level, it doesn't have to be 100%, right? Just on some level, you're just growing something, right? Um, you never know. You never know what you become an expert at. And I think food and water, like we should be experts in some of the basics of our of living, right? Like we've outsourced all of our basic needs to the government essentially. Right. When you live in a city, you outsource 100% of your needs. There's nothing that you haven't outsourced. Okay. Even your air quality, you've outsourced. Okay. Because, and so that's why I, I, I'm telling you, like, one thing that is going to be a more talked about um, aspect of Citadel building and food is going to be where and, and not politically. It's going to be where, but ecologically, environmentally, where do I want to be? You know, and why? Right. It depends. And that just such fucking depends on each person. There isn't like a utopia spot, you know, but it depends on like what you're after, what your needs are and what's the most important to you. Where I am, it's one of the most psychologically diverse places in the fucking world. You know, like it's crazy. Like this is this area is just it's mind blowing. And so I'm not I'm not rebuilding localism from from, from nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm just plugging into it and expanding and I'm helping, you know, but, and I think that can fit a lot of people as well. And I, I, I'm honestly not around too many Bitcoiners, none at all really. So, I'm, but I've been flipping people. Right. And so I think that's my mission is like kind of saying like, Hey, let's just dig in here. Like we don't need to point fingers at each other. It's like in, in, in my town, like masks, like maybe one person will tell me, you know, um, I go with no mask for months now and there, there is a mandate in North Carolina, you know, in certain places. So <clears throat> I don't give, I mean, I just see people here as like, there is some upside here to being, to, I think there's some upside to being in Texas and there, there's some upside to being out of Texas, right? It just depends what you're after. Um, some people, they want to rub shoulders with Bitcoiners like all the time. And me, I feel like I want orange people or orange pill people all the time, <laughs> you know? Um, and I also really care about, I care more about the environment that I'm in, you know, um, I want to jump, I want to jump in waterfalls. I want to go in certain rivers. I like the weather. I like 
the birds. I like the trees. <laughs> you know, these are the things that, you know, when you live somewhere matter. Um, I personally, not such a social person. I don't want to go to the city every weekend and go out with friends and what I'd like, that doesn't mean anything for me. I want to see people once in a while and see what they've been working on, talk to them, have interesting conversation, have a dinner, go out, whatever, have some drinks. But every weekend just to talk shit, like that's not important for me. That's not I like, I don't, I never, even when I live in a city, I wouldn't do that. You know, um, I'm not a city person, but yeah. I mean, another thing um, I think is overlooked with the, the Citadel building and how much money you need is if, if you can Airbnb, for example, can create some little, you know, eco sort of like getaways and show people. Yeah. Like if you were, if you're ranching, like show people, Hey, like I'm rotationally grazing, I'm making my own meat, you know, or like, Hey, like I'm making, I'm growing, I'm growing all this other stuff. Like, and so that's part of what I want to do as well. Um, I'm hoping to, to expand a little bit over here over the, over the years and, uh, and do that as well. So Bitcoin and, and ecotourism, that's kind of something that's untapped. Yeah. Not to steal, not to steal untapped growth, uh, branding. <laughs> you just got to change it a little bit. That's funny. Yeah. The, the location, uh, I forgot how you said it, ecological location versus, you know, specifically jurisdictional, like government friendly, I think is kind of interesting. Is that kind of what you meant? Yeah. Like if you're going to build your own citadel, for example, what the fuck do you care so much about the politics? I mean, there is some level where you care, right? There's some real shit that you can get fucked on. Um, but to some degree, like if you're going to go buy a hundred acres, that means you're going to stay on those hundred acres. Mm-hmm. You're not really trying to leave, you know, it depends on the acres. I only have two and a half. So for me, it matters what's happening around me. Right. Mm-hmm. More so than the guy that has 200 acres. Right. And I think I've seen online, people have varying degrees of what they think is enough for growing for like their homestead. You know, some people say 20 acres. I think there is no number. It's just like, what do you want? You know, are you trying to be fully self-sufficient or are you trying to be part of a mesh to or both, right? You always want to be self-sufficient and part of a mesh to right? That's kind of like what a lot of people say. I think I can be self-sufficient on two and a half acres for the most part, like if shit hit the fan, like, you know, my neighbor, but my neighbors have rotationally grazing cows. Like I, when I, when I take my bike out, like I take three, three pedals and I see the cows, I talk to them every day, you know, and I have like different sets of cow, uh, um, rotational grazing cow operations here which are tiny they're small but they're like big enough for the neighborhood you know um but yeah i have like a chicken coop without any chickens either i'm gonna get some chickens eventually i'm gonna trade my neighbor for some ducks and some chickens and so those are animals i can have on two and a half acres that make me some compost like we spoke about and um different things like that but i think um i think jurisdictionally i think if enough people go to only one spot then that spot already has the jurisdictional like arbitrage there then i think then that place will for sure be like a a mesh location right so people take comfort in just plugging in instead of like rebuilding the wheel right mm-hmm. and so like that's what we spoke about i spoke about before that like that weight there's always something to say it depends what you who you are and what you can impact if you can impact a place that doesn't have that ethos then I think you should maybe go do that, right? Because, you know, Bitcoin is inevitable, but it's only inevitable because we're relentless. (laughs) Yeah. 
<clears throat> yeah, I like one thing I think a lot of people struggle to see is like how different rural America is than um, urban and suburban America. Like you're talking about there's a statewide mass mandate, but yet nobody follows it where you're at. And I think when, when you have people that are more self-sufficient, uh, they're a lot more difficult to corral and control in the same way. And I think that's, you know, really powerful. Like I was, I, I hate California so much, uh, that, but I was driving through rural California and it's a very different feel, you know, than when you get into the cities. And I think even in a place like that, there, there's definitely a lot of room for growth and as far as freedom and, and being able to like build something special for yourself. And I think that's like, it, like moving out of the city is just such a, one, it's relieving, you know, it's quieter, the air quality is better, you have more freedom, you don't get stuck in traffic as much. Uh, but two, it's just so much harder for anybody to harass you, uh, which I think is good. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely away from people, you know, um, at six in the morning, I have like a concert of birds, literally like an orchestra of birds. It's <laughs> fucking crazy. I've never, I've never like experienced that before on that level like not in like a jungle or something you know like i'm not in a jungle but it felt it feels that way and um <clears throat> yeah my neighbors are pretty based you know um you know it's like older people who are based and like i was like worried about that when i first moved here but <laughs> they're based they don't give a fuck you know and like uh, one, one of my neighbors he's like 87 years old and he's like he's been he was like a third 30 years in the in the military and um, a lot of retired military people are pretty based, you know, and this guy's one of them. And he like, he's 87 years old, dude. And this dude takes care of his whole property, like himself. I see him out there every day, you know, work, <laughs> cutting the grass, whatever he's doing. And uh, I don't know, man, like that shit motivates me. I see this 80, almost 90 year old dude, like he's still getting it, you know? I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to be the same, like trying to work with my hands on my, my whole fucking life. And I think, um, I think the, I think when you have like the want to do this stuff, you also have to have like the mental and, and bodily fortitude to do it. It's not easy work. Like a lot of people have a shock when they come from the city and they romanticize it and they saw a couple of documentaries and they spoke to some people on Twitter and, um, they read some books on it. Yeah. But like, have you worked with your hands before? right i'm not saying that people can't do it of course they can i've come from the fucking city i'm not born into labor work i i put myself into that right um and i sacrificed money and all those things just to be here doing this right but i really wanted it i really fucking want it and certain days your body just you're like fuck like i need to get stronger so like certain days i work six eight hours a day outside and then i get in the car and i go to the gym um, I could work out at home, but I like going to the gym and, um, and I go work out for an hour and I lift and I lift heavy and, um, I'm just trying to make the work easier. Right. And I'm like literally training for something. So that's another thing to take into account. Like, you know, your body, right. How can you use it? Like you have manpower. We're not meant to sit behind a chair the whole fucking day, except for if we're shit posting on Bitcoin Twitter, that's the only <laughs> thing that's actually productive, <laughs> but you know, like you're not supposed to do that you're not supposed to take a finance job and work 18 hours a day producing nothing 
Like, what the fuck are you doing in, a, in that job producing absolutely nothing? And trust me, I know that job. I was offered many of those jobs and my friends work in those, you know, trad finance places. And it's, it's a hell, it's hell. And they're not doing anything. They're just looking to make enough money to buy their huge fucking house to get their really good looking wife or whatever, you know, like whatever they're doing, you know, and um, car and none of those things matter to me. So I think just getting that, getting your hands dirty is like the first step. Go volunteer somewhere on a farm. Go, <clears throat> go pull up to untapped growth. Go, go talk to him and say, Hey, you need some help. I want to go up there to him in Virginia. I was supposed to help him one day. I just like, I've had so much going on over here. I haven't been able to leave it. You know, I'm just building my shit up. Um, but I definitely want to go and help him one day and just, just talk to him. I've talked to him once in person. Um, really great dude. Um, I just want to go see what he's, I just want to go see and see him and hang out. But, um, different things like that. Like I, when you get your place to wear together, I'd love to come visit. Um, I just was on another podcast with Andrew Howard. Uh, he, he, he also is, yeah, he's also like, you know, uh, in, in Mexico doing his thing. Also trying to get some, a Citadel started. And I would love to just like come to each place and like, you don't know what rubs off like, Oh, Hey, I see that you're doing it this way, but I have a better way of, of, uh, of uh spreading compost or spreading mulch or, or hey i see you using this fencing but on top growth uses this like or hey like you know there's so many different things that can rub off on each other so many different uh syner synergies of information that you never know if you've been looking at it the right way and also just a helping hand man like you know back in the day when you, you had you had a huge harvest your neighbors would all come and help you you know and then when they had a huge harvest you'd go and help them right and that is the mesh that like, Hey, you need help. I got you, bro. And like, those are the vacations I'm looking at taking, like still working, you know? Um, but yeah, getting your hands, you know, getting ready to get beat the fuck up. That's something that, uh, you know, Untap grew up like that. I think, I think he grew up like, you know, in the country. So his hands are country. Like there's a difference, you know, the city hands are slick and smooth and the country <laughs> hands have the cows, you know? And, uh, yeah, man, like I just moved mulch for two days straight with my hands. I'm like, I love it because I feel like I'm building all this muscle and I love to do it. But <laughs> to <laughs> go move mulch for like 15 hours, you know, it's like you need a rest. You need to you need to figure that out too, not get injured. You know, um, a lot of things that people don't take into account, I think, when they're thinking about going and growing their food and like managing land and like using machetes or whatever brush cutters or you know, goats, you know, to cut grass, you know, um, to eat grass. But, you know, there's so many different aspects to this that you can have so much fun with it and you can do whatever you want. And if you fail, guess what? It doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> you just do it again. You know, you just figure it out and it's just problem solving all day. That's all it is. Right. And um, you said you just started, right? So t tell me about what you're doing. Well, I started with compost. I'm, uh, I've got a few projects, uh, in the works. So the first one is I've been out building a chicken coop. Um, uh, and so, so tell me about your compost, for example, like, uh, and tell me about how big of an area you're working on if you can, or it's pretty small right now. We're just starting out with, uh, uh, like food waste that we have right now. Uh, so stuff that we haven't, you know, cooked or, or seasoned, uh, vegetables and stuff like that coffee grounds uh random 
random stuff that we have like that. So it's pretty, pretty small uh, for the time being. And we're looking at different ways to, to grow it and make it a little bit more um, feasible. And then, so that, that's like the first project is that in the chicken coop. Like once we get the chicken coop going, that's going to be like a good amount of like, um, uh, I forgot what, like sawdust shavings or, or something like that, that you put in the bottom of the coop and it mixed with their poop. That'll clean it out like once a month and that'll be a good amount of compost. Um, project after that is, um, uh, getting rainwater, uh, harvesting rainwater as much as possible because yeah, well, where you're at, that's uh, an imperative, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have access to well water, uh, but I, I think the rain collecting rainwater would be uh, just generally a good thing. And so, you know, I've been researching rain, rain. We don't. We would have to like install a gutter system on the house, um, and you know, it'd be it'd be a fair amount of work to do something like that. But you know, there's there's some cool people like what you're talking about. It's fun to get out in these different communities we we have a friend that uh harvests rainwater and has like a pool inside of his house that is about eight feet deep and it operates as like a air conditioning system almost uh which i think is you know it's amazing and you know he's doing things like has a wood stove to heat the house in the winter uh versus uh i my my house almost blew up this morning uh from the gas guy and uh so that seems pretty attractive to do something like that <laughs> well you made it <laughs> we made it it would have been a it would have been a very interesting morning if my house blew up yeah yeah, yeah. I, I i have i have the the fire powered stove that heats the house too i have obviously my, my air conditioner can heat the house it's i use both yeah. i use the the wood stove to like take the pressure off the ac but um it's awesome man so wait so you just take your food scraps and you throw them you throw them in a pile you mix them with leaves like what do you how are you composting mix them with leaves yeah we've got some leaves too um from around and uh yeah we grass your grass you you, like you have a lawn that you mow uh we uh do have like sort of desert grass that i haven't been incorporating yet uh because it's tied in with these giant desert weeds so it's a little bit harder to kind of separate them i wasn't wanting to mix them i don't separate my weeds oh really but but that comes with a caveat i make sure that the pile gets to 140 degrees twice at least okay. twice. so you know if you have a big enough pile then i would compost everything yeah everything. How, how, how do you heat it so the bigger the pile the bigger your compost pile the hotter it's going to get no matter what you do okay so but then obviously you want to have a good balance of, of browns and greens okay so i use wood chips leaves um my neighbors think i'm crazy i like take all their leaves I t- I, like anyone who's like oh i see bags of leaves when i'm driving by with my pickup truck i'll stop and take it if i see like cut down trees i'll stop take it because i'm going to do a bunch of hugo culture i don't know if you know what that is but mm-hmm. um so hugo culture is actually a fucking amazing um, German idea of like using uh, felled trees and logs um, without having to chip them, right? So basically, you just stack up the logs, biggest on the bottom, fresh logs. Um, so they take a long time to break down. 
or fresh early logs. You don't want something that's going to quickly break down because um, that'll actually like interrupt some of the uh, biology in the soil for a little while. It'll, it'll add to the soil, but if you try to grow vegetables or fruits or whatever, fruit trees on it, it it'll, it'll stunt the growth for a little while. So you want something that breaks down slowly. So you take fresh logs, big ones on the bottom, and then in between each layer of logs, essentially you're putting uh, cut grass and compost. And then you just build it up into like a huge mound. I mean, it's some of them go like five feet tall, you know, and they're these huge mounds and you plant in a hundred percent of the surface area on the sides too. So you make like, you can, there's different designs. There's the round ones and then there's like the slanted ones. And so you're literally planting at an angle and this whole thing just ends up called like, you know, uh, decomposing into the ground slowly, but you never have to fertilize. It's like fertilized from the beginning, you know, with the, with the wood and the compost and the grass all on the inside, you know? Um, it's a long-term way of growing. So like, for example, strawberries grow amazing in that scenario. You know, certain things are just like, it's like perfect for and then you, cause strawberries also replant themselves. So like they send out little shooters and I don't know if you've ever seen that either, but they literally like, you, if you plant one strawberry plant, it'll take over like the whole bed essentially if you let it, cause that one will plant one and then that one will plant two more. And then, you know, um, and so hugel culture is basically that. So I just like when look have like their, their they prune their trees or you know next to my gym they cut down like eight trees i'm like i'm like hey can i uh, take this stuff they're like sure you know <laughs> but then they were like what the fuck are you going to use it for like we're curious you know and i'm like google culture and so i'm here like like if i literally in the middle of the night i'll pull up on that i'll take it um and so that's interesting but um yeah there's uh in terms of the compost so yeah it's like you just make it huge and just every layer of browns you just wet it so you make it like you just make the surface area large and the height large. And when I say large, I mean like, you know, four, four feet by four feet, three, three feet by three feet, something like that. I've done like six foot, seven, six and a half foot high piles just, just for fun. I just like made one huge pile because when the piles get smaller, sometimes they'll just put it all together. Like when it gets closer to the winter, um, just to keep it going the inside going but what i have been doing is i've been taking that compost and feeding it to the worms hmm. and then using the worm castings uh harvesting the worm castings at the end which is my favorite i think just like having that cycle just taking the compost and then moving it to the worms and taking the worm compost and then applying that to the farm you know and obviously if i need uh, obviously I, I plan on mixing the worm castings with some more basic compost um which is from the wood chips breaking down essentially um, which is called like Johnson Sioux compost. Lots of stuff, man. Permaculture is like so many things coming at you, but the Johnson Sioux compost essentially stays at 140 degrees for a while because it's just a huge pile of wood chips that just, you maintain like air holes through it and moisture. And so instead of two years, it takes to break down, it breaks down in one year. Mm -hmm. And then that's like amazing compost because that's like fungal dominant compost. Because the first thing that breaks down wood chips is, 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 fung is, is fungal activity mushrooms so for example in my in my one-year-old mulch pile i have a video that i'm about to post uh it has so many different types of mushrooms growing out of it right now like maybe like five six different types of mushrooms growing out of it right now and so any fun ones i, I didn't identify them yet actually i need to i need to figure out how to identify mushrooms better i have this app um but i need to i need to use it more just to like look i, I need to it's so one of my goals to like forage mushrooms this year. Yeah. This upcoming year. But um, 
yeah, just like seeing that you're kind of like, wow, like this is a lot of fungal activity. Well, dude, after 24 hours of your, <laughs> of your uh, mulch pile sitting there, there's already fungal network that's holding it all together. Within 24 hours, there's strands of mycelium holding this whole pile together, which is like fucking insane. It's so fast, right? Um, and that mimics like the forest floor soil, right? Which is like amazing soil, you know? Ever go into a forest, take a bunch of soil in your hand and smell it? Sure. It smells like fresh air. It doesn't smell like anything, right? Well, <laughs> my compost smells like fresh air. It smells like amazing, you know? The worm compost smells amazing. This uh, Johnson Sioux style compost smells amazing. And it just like has this like forest feel to it. So I'm just trying to like promote that fungal network in my soil, you know? Um, but yeah, it's awesome to hear that you're getting the chickens done with the, with the sawdust. Essentially, it's just, um, you can also feed them all your foods, a lot of food scraps as well. Yeah. And, and you can also like, if you have a wood chip pile, if you get a wood chip pile delivered, um so to get a wood chip wood chips delivered you can just call tree service providers near you and tell them hey like come drop them off by me one of them will eventually do it for you just tell them what you're doing doing with it hey i'm just trying to grow my own food and i need some wood chips you know and you can also feed the chickens like on the wood chip pile you can like put their food on the pile and then they'll come and shit all over it and just keep doing that <laughs> that works fucking amazing as well like i put one of my mulch piles right by the chicken coop so that next year when i get the ducks and the chickens going um, I can just feed them right on it. That's, so that's awesome. one thing. One thing I think about. I know I went off on a tangent there, but um, lots to lots to talk about and share. And I'm yeah. after my first coffee, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I think this is where it becomes intimidating for people. You know, is uh, just how much there is to learn and grow. And I think what it comes down to is we just have to take it step by step and just be consistent with it. Um, or at least that's the way I'm trying to approach it. Yeah. So like, for example, like you want to make as much compost as you can, right. For yourself without buying it. Yeah. Right. So I just hit you with like every approach almost. Right. So let's say you have animals, you take their shit, you got the worm castings going, you got static piles, which are just wood chip piles that are breaking down right? that you're not flipping. Then you have all the grass you cut, mix it with the leaves, mix it with the food scraps, put that into huge piles and then 140 degrees dips down to 100 you flip it goes back to 100 you just literally turn the pile mm -hmm. and add some moisture uh, you know you just add moisture as you see fit really simple you just take a hose keep it running you know and just add the moisture as you see fit and just flip the pile it goes back to 140 degrees um you know these are that's three that's three four ways of making compost and you just attack that all at the same time right and you're making like a bunch of fertility there and it's not so daunting. You're just, you're attacking a single issue of fertility with as many different angles as you can. The last angle that I didn't speak about is like making your own liquid fertilizers, which I'm testing right now. Um, but uh, I'm testing it with, with, with comfrey and comfrey is a plant that everybody should have. Like every fucking person should be growing comfrey, in my opinion, that wants a citadel. It's a multi-use super plant that you add to your compost piles. Like for example, your food scraps, you could take some comfrey leaves, throw it in there, feed it to the, I feed it to my worms, for example. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely uh, on the Citadel style of, of living, you got to attack every problem from many angles. So, Yeah. 
I, I've never even heard of Comfrey. I just looked it up and added it to my list. Yeah, so Bocking 14 Comfrey is the Comfrey that's sterile because the, the non-sterile version will spread all over your, your farm. And sometimes it's unwanted, sometimes it's wanted. For me, it's unwanted, um, for now at least. So the Bocking 14, the only way that it'll propagate is when you pull it out of the ground and you chop up the roots into pieces, right? Which is also how you'll receive it. So you can order Bocking 14 root cuttings from uh, different places on the internet. I bought mine from Etsy actually, and they worked great. So, um, and then every year you can pull it out and chop it up into like 20 to 30 pieces and then replant them. So you go like 30 X after one year, right? Um, so what you start with, you kind of think like, okay, like I'll spend this much money on Comfrey this year. And the next year I should have at least 10 times minimum. Yeah. That I'm, that I'm replanting. Right. And you literally just pull it out of the ground and cut the roots up. Right. And replant it. But I use that for, in all my compost piles, I use the, I feed, I chop it up and feed it to my worms because they absolutely love it. And I read online that some worm populations can see up to a 400% increase in the same size. Um, so in the same volume that you were housing the worms, just feeding them a lot of comfrey can increase their population by up to 400%. Hmm. And comfrey has like this effect on everything. It's a fucking insane plant. Like <laughs> you start reading about comfrey, it's like comfrey within itself is a rabbit hole. Like people have written whole books on comfrey. Um, and for example, I just planted one root cutting into a mulch pile that's been cooling down a little. I did it on the little risky side, but it was just one cutting, so I didn't care. And so let's see if that, because like the root system of the comfrey is insane, in fucking sane. And so I'm also going to line all my walkways in the garden with comfrey to hold the edge. And also because I'm going to use, I use comfrey as mulch as well. So when I'm going to certain, certain uh, beds, I, I, you want to mulch with, with comfrey and then maybe wood chips on top. But um, yeah, I try, I want comfrey all over. It just free. It's, it's my main like green manure. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So many things, dude. Comfrey is just like one of those super, there's a couple of them, but I, I comfrey, it, there's a sterile version and I just dude, can use it for so many things, man. Nice. Like, you can even use it like to make salves and stuff and different things for your body and that powerful shit. <laughs> why, why do you think it's so important to get away from like store-bought fertilizers? Yeah. So, you know, when I was 18 years old, I moved to Cali to grow some, some cannabis. Um, and it hit me then I was like growing like a good amount of cannabis. And I was like using all these nutrients that they sell you at the garden store. And I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? you know and i was like no way this is like this is it's just it just feels wrong it just feels synthetic it just feels like you're cutting some corners or something right and when i grow cannabis with just amazing soil the smell the taste the high everything changes right same with the food so with the food what's the indicator what's the indicator that you're doing something right for your food is it yield no so what is it? It's flavor, right? Flavor is the biggest indicator that you're eating something that's high quality, right? Like you rarely ever have some fucking chemical laden stuff that you're like, oh my God, the flavor of this fucking pesticide ridden tomatoes. And it, no, it tastes like water. Um, so I grew everything for flavor, right? And the only way to generate that flavor is through a complex 
um, system of, of healthy soil. And so all these like concentrated fertilizers are essentially cutting corners. Um, I don't see like the, you know, a, a new wave is like buying mycorrhizal fungi. And um, so mycorrhizal fungi, essentially like when you, when you grow, so when you grow like anything, roots go into the ground, right? And then around the roots develop, mycorrhizal fungi develop around the roots, right? And that fungi helps the roots interact with all the nutrients around it. And it helps transfer the nutrients to the roots, right? Mycorrhizal fungi also allows the plants to communicate, certain plants to communicate with each other, like trees and stuff, right? And um, trees just, they, they talk to each other through fungal networks, right? Um, but the mycorrhizal fungi isn't like the, it protects the root systems of your vegetables and crops in general. And it also like transfers nutrients to them, certain nutrients to them. So it's, you can see there's like a whole industry around developing mycorrhizal fungi, but this is high time preference stuff. I'm not, I'm not saying what to do, but I just take wood chips and I mulch um, and I use wood chips in my walkways. And over time, the fungal network is just developing, right? And as I do crop rotations and stuff like that, the mycorrhizal fungi is just there naturally. I don't need to buy it, right? But I don't have large monocrops of fucking corn or whatever. But yeah, I'm super against these store fertilizers because basically it's an industrial product. You know, I don't even use in my potting soil perlite or any of this garbage, coconut core. It's just industrial, right? So the problem isn't the product itself. If you take coconuts and you make coconut core yourself, that's not an industrial product. That you made your your coconut core that you wanted, you know, for your potting soil or whatever. Um, everything industrial, man. You go there and you see how they make it. And you're like, maybe I'm not going to use that. What what am I using that for? That's devoid of anything. Like everything that goes into your soil should be adding to it. It shouldn't just be this like stopgap, high time preference thing, you know. Like if you need more aeration in your soil, you need to mulch better. You need to attract more earthworms you need to put thicker layers of compost. It's on you, you know? If you wanna cut corners, yeah, you'll have good results. You'll be able to take pictures of it, share it with your friends. You'll, you'll have a little bit more crop that year. But in 10 years from now, I'm gonna be developing some crazy um, yields, some amazing flavor, and my, my pest management is gonna be integrated into the system already. You're gonna be like, oh, but what do you do when you get these mites? I don't get those mites, you know what I mean? Like. And so a lot of people, they want the high time preference, but then when it comes 10 years later, they're not actually generating that compound, that CAGR, that compound growth rate of soil fertility that you're building over time. You know, um, the soil food web, if you're doing it right, you're building this topsoil over, over time. If you go and, and take a shovel and you start digging into people's soil, you'll see the topsoil is like, it's like an inch, two inches, right? You go to a a place that's been no-till cover cropping stuff you know which is a, something we didn't talk about but just somebody who has a real system low time preference man their topsoil can be like this like you know so yeah <laughs> you know, i'm building real soil high yielding crops for no reason like just because i buy and those inputs also can put you out of business right like you have to buy those inputs from somewhere so a lot of, a lot of like uh, traditional farms, they went out of business, you know, untapped growth went on the John Valls podcast and they spoke about their old, uh, I think it was a dairy that they went out of business because they went with the, 
the large uh, buyers and the, oh, go big or go home method, right? Which is never the case to be true. The truth is, is keep your expenses extremely low and maximize your, your profit margin as a small producer. It's 100% of the time. I don't care what business you're in. It's that's, <laughs> if you're going to be small, you're not going to, you're not, you know, you're not going to be the biggest and you shouldn't compete on that level because you will go out of business, yeah. right? And so if I'm not buying anything, and I have a bad weather year, doesn't matter how good your fertilizer is. If I get in a flooded, if my whole field gets flooded one year, you know, then I lose everything. Now imagine I have finance tractor. Uh, I don't have these things, but just imagine, right? Finance tractor. I have to buy all my inputs because that's what I'm used to doing. Well, man, you know how much compost you need to start a one acre vegetable farm? It's like $30,000 for a good compost, you know, 20 to 30. maybe now it's more expensive, mm-hmm. right? after all this inflation and uh, gas prices going up and stuff like, I mean, and I'm talking about enough compost to have like a nice thick layer, initial layer. Right. And so, and every few years you're going to have to have a thick layer added. Right. I I just would, I'm going to add layers every year that are nice and thick because I'm making my own stuff, but this is imagine I'm making it myself for free. Right. Just my time and my body power. So that's minimum, like around $30,000 worth of uh, sats that I'm stacking. Right. And that's how I've been able to keep my Bitcoin and not sell any of it also. So that's something to take into account that all the money that you bring in is basically going to be savings, you know, and you don't need to be the biggest, uh, you know, you don't need to have the biggest money-making operation. You just want it to never go bankrupt. Right. That's like the whole concept of resilience. Right. And um, yeah, I'm sure most people when they buy Citadels, they're not trying to spend their Bitcoin. So they will finance it. Right. They will take on, some mortgage or some sort of fiat debt to pay to pay down over time as Bitcoin rises and their and their citadel increases in in value, right? So I think just not relying on anything that's important from the outside is like the feature, the feature of a real sus- sustainable um, citadel, but. If your neighbors provide you something that doesn't count as like an outside source, that's just a mesh shadow, that's trade, that's and and the whole thing I think that people forget is that you're not trying to be 100% self sufficient actually right away. It's not going to happen. Rome was never built in a day. It's going to take you years. Like, like <laughs> there's no fucking way you become 100% self sufficient in one year. You know, if all you're eating is meat, fine, sure. You know, but not many people want to go 100% carnivore, like 100%. Like, you need to have some potato. There's some things that you're going to want, some variety, you, like, you know, putting tomatoes on a toast. Like, I don't know, like for me, that's like, I need to have. It. Um, and so when you, when you think in those terms, you just want to trade from a position of power, not a position of weakness. A position of weakness is me buying everything at a farmer's market with cuck bucks, right? A position of power is me going to the farmer and being like, hey, I have these potatoes and I like their carrots. Let's trade. Or, hey, I have the seed, let's trade seed for seed, you know? That's a position of power, right? And, or, hey, man, I heard you make the best worm castings in the area. Let me get some, you know? Or, hey, like, help me start a a vermicomposting operation on my farm. No problem, you know? Like, those are the things that people aren't paying attention to enough, I think, is the ability to just trade with something else than just money, right? And even Bitcoin, like, I don't want to trade with Bitcoin if I don't have to. If I have to, I do want to trade only in Bitcoin, right? But if I don't, I want to be able to just, like, give the things that I produce the value and keep my Bitcoin for later, right? 
Sure. So, um, yeah, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm against those fertilizers because they, they actually don't promote soil biology. And that's what I'm doing. I'm just a biologist, essentially. Yeah, kind of going back to what you're saying. So I, I got to uh, sit through one of Untap Growth's uh, presentations at a conference a few months back. And he talked about the topsoil erosion and how uh, that could lead to kind of a cascading crisis agriculturally. Uh, and it comes back to what you're talking about is time preference. Uh, you're talking about doing these things over a period of years, if not decades, versus like, how do I generate the most yield in the short term? And I think that's, you know, very different uh, kind of way to, to view things than, you know, the average person today. Uh, it, it's almost counterintuitive in our uh, society to have a low time preference to be thinking that long term. Uh, and it's, it's amazing to see how, how Bitcoin changes that for people. Yeah. So for me, I was, I was trying to do this before I was a Bitcoiner. Right. Um, I just saw the marriage of the two as being a, a perfect combination. Right. And like I said, in the beginning, it's like, you're saying like Bitcoin just provides people with that feeling of low time preference to an nth degree. Right. And Bitcoin did even my, my time preference is really low. Okay. But Bitcoin lowered it even more somehow, which like, um, I don't live alone, man. I have a girlfriend, you know, like been together for, for a little bit now. And sometimes, you know, I have to hire my time preference a little bit, but actually it's lowered her time preference, right? Completely. Like in between permaculture and Bitcoin, like it's her time preference is so different than what it used to be. And, um, and, and, you know, just having that dynamic also, I, I know it's super hard for Bitcoiners, Bitcoiners talk about all the time, like, hey, how am I going to find a, a girl? There's not, first of all, there aren't many female Bitcoiners, right? Um, and I think it's like an orange pill scenario. You fall in love with a girl, you know, who cares about like, you know, I don't really care if somebody's going to agree with me right from the beginning. I just care that our values, our, our ethos on the base level are shared. Because yeah. then I know she's going to become a Bitcoiner eventually or whatever. She's going to understand like, you know, honest, you know, any honest person will understand that everything else is an affinity scam. And Bitcoin is like some, the most honest form of money ever created, right? It's like any honest person will eventually figure that out. And think about you and me. We didn't start off with that knowledge from step one, or at least I didn't, you know, I was like going down the rabbit hole of, of uh, shit coins and Bitcoin and all this stuff reading and, and then it clicked, right? Um, and so, yeah, it's just super important to have that low time preference for me, even in relationships, which is something that um, we don't speak about enough either. Because if you're really like the right person for someone, they should, they will listen to you, you know? Like if they really listen to you as a person, they'll listen to you, you know? They'll, they'll, there will be some shared ideology there, you know? So. Yeah, I think the value set is, is very, very important. Uh, for the relationships like my my girlfriend and i we have very different interests uh but she was willing to move out of the city with me to kind of go on this you know endeavor um you know she she's the type of person that um is into kind of like woo woo stuff and i'm not as much uh not that i have any judgment against that but it's just it, it's funny to see that because like on on the surface of like as far as 
you know, things that are suggested. I, th- I think we, we tend to, or, or suggested to look for the wrong things. And the, I think the value set, like, you know, you're, you're out there doing something that is, you know, pretty radical, uh, culturally, you know, a lot of people would look at the stuff you're doing and like, oh, you're actually working with your hands in the dirt or like you pick up handfuls of dirt and smell it and enjoy it. Like, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and so I make people do that, man. When I, when I have like a real like city motherfucker and like here, yeah. and I'm like, I'm like, Hey, like pick that up and smell it. Yeah. Know, I'm not, t- I'm not touching that. I'm like, I pick it up and I smell it and I squeeze it. And I'm like, do that. And they're like, I was like, look, smell it. Like, and they're like, wow, it smells good. And I'm like, yeah, now you do it. And they do it. And they're like, damn, like, and you can just see like their whole brain chemistry is like, what the fuck is, am I doing right now? But then after they're like, man, I'm really a, like detached from nature. Huh? Like, I don't even want to touch nature. Like what's wrong with me? Yeah. And it's like, somebody said that to me and it blew my brain. I was like, yeah, dude, like <laughs> that's definitely an awakening. Yeah. You gotta be able to, you know, when I see people like, Hey, so like, where are my gloves? I'm like, I'm like, dude, what the fuck do you think is going to happen to you here? Like, you know, you're going to put your hands into some soil, like gloves, like you don't even feel any, like, how do you work with gloves? Like, I don't understand how gardeners work with gloves outside of like yanking out like thorny things, you know, um, obviously you're in rose bush or something, you know, thorns. You, I, I don't sometimes cause I'm just a stupid. I like, I like this. I like to, <laughs> I don't know why sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm not going to go get them and, I'll pick out some thorny shit um, or I'll go berry hunting and I'll, all the thorns are, you know, grabbing all over me. And um, yeah, that's another rabbit hole, by the way. Uh, when you go pick your Citadel, you could, you should download this app called picture this and um, like pick, take a picture of certain thorny things. They could be uh, wild black raspberries, uh, uh, wine berries, blackberries, you know, around my home, I, I take my bike in berry season and I just take a jar with me and I just start taking berries from the side of the road. Nobody takes them. And they're like it's the best berries you'll ever have. So there's certain free things, you know, I got certain free, uh, free, uh, food, food crops that, you know, are amazing. Yeah. And, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think it comes down to like you can experience a lot of freedom when you get out of the mass psychosis group think that's happening in our society right now of like, you know, being able to see those things that, you know, other people don't know that exists. Um, I think that's incredibly, well, it's been incredibly important for me, for sure. Yeah. It's been incredible. It, it, honestly, this whole COVID thing has been kind of in, in, incredulous for me because I've been on this. So I've been on this like, hey, let's maybe grow our own food uh, propaganda since like 2016 or something like that, 2015, 2016. And um, people used to look at me like I'm crazy. And COVID hits and I get phone calls and they're like, okay, you're not so crazy anymore. You know? And I'm like, I never have been, you know, I've just been awake for longer than you have. That's it. Like, or slightly more awake, let's say even. Um, and I think it's just that slight distrust of whatever they're doing, right? They're in such a comfort zone that any, it just takes a little pin to pop that bubble, you know? And uh, that's what I'm here for, man. Like, 
I don't have to, when I'm at normies dinners, like I don't, I don't mince my words. Like, and like, for some reason they like, I'm sitting at the table quiet as fuck eating my food, whatever. And people are like, Hey man, so like, tell us more about what you're doing. Like the interest now is, is before it would be to like, kind of like mock me a little bit. So like, they'd be like, Hey man, tell us what you're doing. And I like tell them. And then they're like, yeah, yeah. Like you're crazy. And I'm like, all right. And, uh, now it's like, tell me more. Okay. Oh my God. That's amazing, man. You're doing something. Ama- oh, okay. Like, and I'm, I'm open. I understand. Like, I don't hold it against them. I'm not, I don't, I never really developed too much salt for them, for the normies, but, um, I think there's an awakening happening, man. And I think you see that like this 2021, 2020 horde of Bitcoin, Bitcoin maximalists that are coming up online or you see just a massive jump. And, um, you know, I think just the amount of information and community around Bitcoin right now is incredible. Yeah. There's no other community like it. Like there just isn't, uh, proud to be here sitting time talking to me about this stuff man because it's important and i think yeah like you said i'll be doing this my whole life it's not just like a fad or anything you know I've spent already five years just learning and amassing some capital to like do this you know um shout out bitcoin for helping me <laughs> um but you know we're all connected man we're all connected through this uh unit of account that we're all helping to you know increase its 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 value right and its purchasing power and you know, we're all, all our success is tied to each other, right? We literally have a daisy chain of success and we're all connected. Um, and that's why we have this sort of bond. Like me and you have never met, but we've spoken a few times on Bitcoin Kindergarten. Shout out Bitcoin Kindergarten, by the way. Um, Great show. Yeah, shout out Simply Bitcoin also. Um, but yeah, and you're like, hey, like, let's jump and talk for an hour. And I was like, let's do it. But I just feel comfortable talking to you like other podcasts. I'd say no, you know, I'm like, I'm not trying to come on some fiat podcast all the time, but you know, every Bitcoiner that asks me, I say, yeah. And I've been on a couple now. I'm starting to get a little more comfortable um, being recorded and being on camera, but Bitcoin kindergarten got me more comfortable with that stuff too. Yeah. Those guys are great. Yeah. I think it's cool to see this be become a cultural movement and, you know, Looking at Bitcoin, like I came in pretty late, uh, relatively speaking of like coming, not, not super late. A lot of people look at, say I was early, but what I mean is like, there'd been so much groundwork laid for somebody like me to be able to come in and, uh, kind of understand what was going on. And I just think about these people that, you know, really trailblazed and got in early, you know, setting the, uh, uh, environment for others to come in and and how you know really grateful i am for them of like you know they were the people going to uh uh, the parties talking about bitcoin and people would look at them and laugh and be like oh you know that weird funny money and then today like it's shifting a lot where we have a country that is using bitcoin uh we've got (laughs) massive uh companies buying bitcoin it's dominating the news now now bitcoin may be the cause for a uh, financial implosion supposedly no never never man <laughs> it's it's interesting i saw i just i uh, saw that yes that yesterday that a uh, bank of england said that bitcoin is the cause of the next financial meltdown or something like that 
And I saw some Bitcoiners kind of run with that narrative of some memes. Never, man. It's impossible. It's impossible that Bitcoin, and they're like, oh, Bitcoin accelerates the demise of the financial system. That's impossible also. It's an impossibility. Bitcoin only generates prosperity, not despair. Mm -hmm. If everyone were to switch to Bitcoin tomorrow, everyone would experience prosperity, not despair. Okay, would the central bank implode? Sure. (laughs) But would we experience prosperity or despair, which is essentially what we're talking about? We would experience prosperity because that is literally the theory of hard money, right? The hardened theory of hard money because it's like more than a theory at this point, right? It's been experimented on. We have some, a lot of data on it. You know, gold didn't exist for one year or two years or 10 years even, right? And Bitcoin is just the, the saleable, you know, scarce version of that, you know? Um, it generates prosperity, not despair. The only thing that can lead to a meltdown of anything is itself, mm-hmm. right? The only thing that can happen to Bitcoin is it not producing the next block. Yep. The only thing that the central bank can do to stop a meltdown is to stop printing money, which they can't because that will itself cause a meltdown for them because they've gotten to themselves into a, into a catch 22. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yep. So um, they're accelerating their own demise. You know, did Bitcoin, is Bitcoin there? So they printed uh, trillions of dollars in the last two years. No. Does Bitcoin provide a backstop and an opportunity and a lifeboat? Sure but prosperity, not despair every time. Um, I think the world has to go to shit for people to accept Bitcoin on some level because their worldview is comfort and nobody changes things from a comfortable place really, right? Like you can't expect some cantillionaire, super millionaire, you know, to just like immediately embrace Bitcoin, right? On average, there will be one or two, right? There'll be a Michael Saylor who's like, okay, like, fuck this shit. Like, this is the truth, you know? Um, but, you know, people usually don't make, like, as a society, we don't make huge changes out of comfort. We make it out of discomfort, mm-hmm. right? And out of distrust. And um, I do believe the world had to, had to go to shit on its own for Bitcoin to gain this popularity. But I also believe that to be inevitable, right? The way that it's set up, everyone who was talking about, like, you know, the food system, who is talking about, I'm sure untapped growth, he was like, wow, Bitcoiners, wow, like uh, the food system, like uh, that for sure was like all one journey for him, just like me, you know? Um, and certain other people that I've met that are, that are thinking the same way. Um, but I just see the focus, the focus, like you said on that is just, it's, inspi- it's inspiring. It inspires me every day. Yeah, no, I like that. The discomfort leading to growth. I mean, that's just the, the case always. It's like we we're programmed to, or I don't know if programmed would be a good word, but that's just how our brains work is like we try to be as efficient as possible. And so we avoid discomfort and as much as possible until the discomfort's unavoidable. And we're getting to that point financially right now. Yeah, and the people that saw coming have the higher benefit than the people that didn't like with that with with anything right like if you start building your citadel five years from now or 10 years from now maybe that was not ideal maybe it was you know but you kind of don't know that's why it's good to like be early right people like oh like just stack sats like who cares if it's going to go down or up well because you you just kind of want to just hedge every position all the time right 
And I think like the reason why we see the price going to what, like 62,000 almost today, or maybe it hit, you know, we're talking some high number. Um, I think it's because you have the horde of people buying every day. I buy Bitcoin every day. I have an auto DCA going every day. So I just know that it just, I don't have to deal with it. Fiat comes in, fiat goes out. I'm good, you know? And I know I'm just like securing the bag. And when there's bigger dips, I can take like a little like a zero interest uh, credit line out and the credit card out and then stop, you know, start putting my expenses on that and using my, like the fiat, you know, stuff like that. But I think, uh, I think without Bitcoin, I would be much more pessimistic on the world. <laughs> Even if everyone, it's like the more people that grow their own food makes me optimistic. The more people that get into Bitcoin makes me optimistic. So I'm in this situation where like my, like the theory that I had this theory, like five years ago that around like, uh, this is like my mega bullish theory on people growing food that around 10 to 15% of the population in the United States will like be growing their own food on some level, you know, or help or farming as well. Just like these like micro farms, micro farms for me are tw uh, 20 acres and below. Um, and so 15 and 20 percent of people will be like farming on some level even you know 100 acre farms are considered small so um i'm seeing that play out with bitcoin at the same time and maybe 10 to 15 percent is like the super bullish too bullish case or whatever but i don't see it that way i see maybe like it'll be the similar amount of people that are true bitcoiners who are like you know bitcoin maximalists i think it'll also only be like 10 to 15 percent of the population on the same time you know skeef thinks you know, skeet to somebody who, who doesn't think everybody's just going to like use Bitcoin as their unit of account. They're just going to like hold some and speculate and whatever, but like 15 to 20% of the people using Bitcoin as a unit of account is just fucking powerful, you know? And so, yeah, that makes me just so optimistic for the future, man. And just every single person that I hear that's starting to compost for the first time, like you, you know, it's your first time composting, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like it's your first time actually doing this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah amazing you know like these are things that i should have been like, i'm pissed that i wasn't taught how to compost at a young age like why not like why are my food scraps going into the garbage like like what the fuck you know what i mean that's like absolute retardation you know um like you don't do anything for compost you just dispose it in a certain way <laughs> it's like not hard so, so many of these things are uh bullish on bitcoiners <laughs> long bitcoin long bitcoiners yeah no i'm super stoked that that 10 to 15 percent of the population if that was were to happen there would be a massive shift uh i mean even if you get five percent of the population doing this stuff like that creates a major change and i think that's that's all we need in order to move the needle in the direction towards a freer uh society because that that's you if you have five percent of the population that is completely intolerant of the bs that's being shoveled towards us like you cannot you cannot corral these people you know you cannot um even begin to control the narrative and especially you, like you become ungovernable yes ungovernable i love saying that just, uh, ungovernable it's like a weird word yeah i don't know <laughs> and that's also yeah, you be, yeah. but you also become pandered to you become a like sort of like a, a constituency that people will come and say hey if i can swing this vote you know and so you, you hold power at five percent for sure yeah for sure you know if there was a third party that got five percent of the vote in presidential elections like that would change everything 
you know? Um, Dave Smith, 2024. Yeah. I'm not voting. I'm not voting. I'm not voting until they pander to me. Yeah. So that's my theory. I I don't want to vote at all. I don't care if someone says the word Bitcoin or not. Like I'm not voting until they're like, I'm sure that they're pandering to like shrinking government. So a politician needs to run on the idea that they're going to shrink government. Now, if they're running on the idea that they're going to, you know, use Bitcoin as a unit of account. So maybe I'll vote for them because that will shrink the size of the government eventually. But um, do you believe politicians? No. That's why, like, I'm not going to vote until I believe I'm voting in a fair election. Until I believe I'm voting in elections that are fair. I don't care about this whole, like, media narrative of, like, miscounted votes and all that stuff. That's all a charade to me. I don't, I don't really know what to believe, you know? Um, do I think elections are fixed? For sure. How they're fixed? Who the fuck knows, you know? Um, there's no way for me to verify that you voted and I voted and she voted and like, there's no real good way to verify who voted for what and if they're a real person or not, you know? Um, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I'm tuning out the noise people trying to, trying to talk to me about politics and say, look, I'll talk to you about politics, just know I'm apolitical. And they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, I'm not voting in your election. So I'm just telling you how I see the problem and what I think could fix it. And then you can decide who you wanna vote for, but I don't care who you vote for, you know what I mean? Like I apolitical. And this shit, that blows their fucking mind, actually. Like someone who's like trying to talk politics to you and you tell them that immediately, they're like, so you're libertarian. You're like, no, I tell them, no, I'm apolitical. Even though I fucking am, you know, but I'm just saying like, I hate it. Cause like now the libertarian party is like this like weird target. You know, you have like the Joe Jorgensen, the, the guy with the boot, the weird, weird fucking hat on his head. Yeah. You know, like, I, yeah, yeah, like, like you know how they the normies think they see like all these crazy libertarians, you know. I say no, I'm a consent, you know, Jimbo the consensualist <laughs> on Twitter, you know. All right, he basically reworded voluntarism to consensualism, yeah, because it's a very because consent is very important to 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 normies, right? To everyone, obviously, but to normies, they use the word consent. They don't use the word voluntary, right? And so consensualism is what we're after. So why would I vote for something that's, I know that it's not going to be consensual, right? Yeah. And um, fuck, fuck, fuck the police, fuck the politics. <laughs> yeah, you're preaching to me. I, I'm very in line. The, the problem with voting is we're, we would be going out and competing with the masses of people that, you know, are incapable of doing things in their own best interest where they just buy into whatever, you know, the marching orders of what they're told to. And I think this, like the stuff we've been talking about the whole podcast has been so much more uh, productive and will always be more productive because it, it, it doesn't matter what the maniacs and seated in positions of power, uh, fiat power uh, think or say when you've got a group of people that just say, no, like we're not going to comply and you can like try and, you know, take things from us. And it's incredibly difficult and expensive for you to do so uh, because we're, you know, we've got our bases covered. And so there's not very much that you can do. And, and so we're not changing. You have to change. I think that's way more productive. Yeah. We're at odds. If I vote, (laughs) we're at odds. You're, you're, if you're government, you want to continue obtaining your salary and your power and we're at odds. I want to shrink you. Mm-hmm. You want to grow. Yeah. There's nothing that, unless I see something that can shrink you, I'm not going to do it. Right. 
So I'm going to buy Bitcoin. I'm going to shrink you. I'm going to shrink you. Like, I, 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 if I feel like you're an impediment on human prosperity, I'm going to shrink you. You know, if I feel like you're actually like trying to push narratives for people to like stop population growth, like I'm going to shrink you because I think people should do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. And I think the population size that we can harbor on this planet is much higher than what we're led to believe. Yep. Because from my estimates, like I said, if we're 10 to 15% growing our own food, you know, you start to see the abundance that we could, that we could have if we just build our soils to be resilient things. And if me and you have like, right, they say that, you know, one Bitcoiner makes three because it's like on average, people have two kids or something like that, two and a half, right? Like an average household is two and a half people right no what is it it's three and a half people sorry i don't know whatever yeah. basically you, people have around around two kids right so you know every bitcoiner makes two right um and so those are two more bitcoiners that are coming out that are going to be like they're not going to accept government food and government water they're used to some high quality lifestyle right it's just the highest quality lifestyle <laughs> basically which is like all the food just growing around you and i think that's why it only takes 10% of the population to really make a shift because once you get to the third, fourth generation, you know, you have like a 25% of the population, 35% of the population. Um, even if it just sticks at 15%, because some people still, you know, leak out, you're still creating a sustainable system, which can, a sustainable system isn't one that lasts just for, for, for you for 40 years or 50 years. It's one that lasts multiple generations, right? It's one that lasts 100 years, 150, you know, right? That's a sustainable, so that's what I'm after too. Like, I'm hoping that whatever I build here gets sustained for 100 years. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Goal. The only way they can stop us is throwing us all in the gulag. <laughs> Fuck. I can align them. My grandparents are Holocaust survivors, all of them. So <laughs> hopefully uh, I don't make it back there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah wow that's why when people say oh like bitcoin is designed to create a financial collapse i say um first of all bullshit second of all allergic to that because that's what they uh that's what they claimed my grandparents did which they did not so you know people people uh suffered for me to be here to not make the same mistakes and i won't yeah I think that's beautiful and it's it's amazing to kind of see people just replicate the very similar narratives and and positions with just a little different tinge like um but that's why keeping your bitcoin is super important mm -hmm. so you can't just go all in on a citadel you can't you need to keep some sovereignty that you can leave because look okay like i'm building this i love my place i, I have a connection to my place but man, like, I'm not going to get it. <laughs> if I have to vote for him with my feet, I will, you know, like if I, if you force me to, like I will, you know? And so I stack sats, don't sell sats, right? You got to be a net buyer of Satoshi's like your whole life, basically. Um, or a critical mass and then you just don't touch it. Right. Like, I don't know. You just, you kind of have to hold on to it as long as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes again to the, low time preference of thinking, you know, future generations, like, you know, we want our, our kids and grandkids to have Bitcoin. I, I hope my kids and grandkids have Bitcoin. I hope my kids and grandkids have this Citadel. I hope my kids and grandkids have, have it all. You know, I hope they're seeing that full prosperity that we had to eat shit for to build, you know, like 
if I was already living on a Citadel, like, and I just added, and I just had to add Bitcoin, that'd be easy. Right. I'm like, oh, my parents already live in this sort of scenario. I, I, I come from a family of farmers or whatever. Yeah. So it's kind of easier, but a lot of people have to build it from scratch. Right. What, like 1% of the population is involved in agriculture or something like that. Maybe it increased a little bit in the last 10 years with all these like small micro farms, but I still yeah. think it's like something small as fuck, you know? And so like that's literally how many people are involved in growing food like that is fucking crazy small that is insane that is an opportunity and there's so much wasted space and the reason another reason why i'm doing it in such a small plot is because people have a yard people have a quarter acre people have less than that they should do something with it not just fucking grass uniform grass monoculture grass stupid yeah well you definitely changed my mind on something um, because I've definitely been uh, the person that like looks at these awful narratives and I'm kind of like stay dumb, you know, as this, the solution, but I, you know, I'm listening to you talk, like the stakes are pretty high right now and we're wading into some pretty dangerous waters uh, as a society. And uh, I, you know, just listening to you talk about like, you know, what your family's experience, like it, it, it does seem important right now to be fighting these narratives and to not be, um, uh, be, because, you know, where they will are willing to take them is, you know, an incredibly dangerous place. Yeah. I mean, we can't, we can't let, you know, you know, even if it just happens in one in one country or one town or whatever, we can't let Bitcoiners get hung. You yeah. know, um, cannot. Like, if there is a place like that, like we need to we need to come down with a hammer because when you don't and you just say, "Oh, it's not going to happen to me," well, you know, look at look at the distance from Germany to Poland. It's not far, but it's still mm -hmm. kind of far, and uh, millions of people died in Poland mm -hmm. because they kept saying, "Not, nah, it's not going to happen here." you know and um look it fucking happened you know my grandparents are polish so uh they survived but their families did it you know i'm part of the, the few that are left and um it's stories for most people it's something they read in a history book it's something that they they didn't live any part of it you know but at least i got some primary experience with with those people and yeah, I think it's important that we don't let it ha I think Bitcoiners are the easy scapegoat. So just like the Jews always have been, you know, um, I think it's just so easy to look at the people who are prospering when everybody and everything else is crumbling. And trust me, man, like if things do crumble, <laughs> Bitcoin's only going to increase in value and you're going to, that's why OPSEC obviously matters. But in the same time, there's a limit to how much OPSEC you're going to have. And they're going to pin the tail on us eventually, right? You see the Bank of England. That's not my narrative. That's not a Bitcoiner's narrative. Like, they put it out there. I can't do anything about that. Like, they own the media. Like, I don't, I don't know what else we can do except for just being loud and proud on Twitter. And acting stupid is really important. I think the Think Boys are great, but I think the memesters are better. Yeah. Because you can have 10 Think Boy posts, but you need to have the stupidity, like the Bitcoin kindergarten idea of like, yeah, we're going to have all the signal and all the smart uh, anecdotes and, and smart things said, but uh, there's a point where you have to act stupid.
magic internet money. Yeah. It's, that is a cloak. That's a cloak so you don't get scapegoated. It's a feature. It's a huge feature of the system. It's so that people don't come down on you too early. People don't care about you. It's magic internet money, dude. You know? And I think this is like the most, like people like Mike Alfred and all these and Udi want to make it like more like corporate or whatever, but you don't want that. You don't want that. You want it to be cloaked in retardation, regardation. Um, I think so <laughs> for security reasons, but I'd rather the price of Bitcoin and when I say price, I mean purchasing power of Bitcoin go up. I'd rather go up slowly and steadily all the time, but that's not what ha- that's obviously not what brings the price up. We're long volatility, right? Like you see the most volatile times in Bitcoin is obviously the reason that sends the price up. But I, I do believe that we need to be like cloaked in stupidity. So yeah, I mean we're we're combating just complete insanity, clown world nonsense, and so the uh, I think I'd imagine the the stupidity that you're talking about is almost like a parody of how ridiculous this stuff is that's being promoted like all all of this stuff is but yeah i mean just the intolerance of these narratives like i I think it's important to you know get out in, in the community and talk with normal people that are so easily dissuaded by these narratives so that they can see how false it is and like you know remind them that like hey the government lied to you here they're um, at this specific point, they're probably lying to you here too. Um, and that's, that's huge. They lie about everything. I will say though, that like, when I do that with normies, I'm not very, I'm not a safe, I'm not like, I'm not a respecting their safe space, yes. you know, like laser hot, likes to say, like there's like normies are safe space maximalists. Um, and they are, and I don't respect it at all. So some people say, hey, you got to change the way you talk about these things if you want to get through to people. And I say, yeah, did I get through to you today? They say, yeah, actually, yeah, you did. I say, so like, why are you telling me how to get through to you? Like, who cares if it's a little bit of like an intense conversation? This stuff should be fucking intense. Yeah. It shouldn't be like, okay, you had your 30 seconds to debate this, like next person, please. No, it's not. It's not comfortable. None of this shit's comfortable. I think it's comfortable for me to tell you how fucking wrong you are about everything. Like, not you, Tuxin, but like you, the normie, right? Like, it's like, fuck. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to come and shit on you technically, but I have to. It's like my duty. Like, I feel like I have to do it. Whether you hate me after or not, I, I like, I have to do it. Like, I don't know what it is. I like, ha- I can't shut the fuck up. Like, I was at a bachelor party with 100% of the people which were from Los Angeles. Oh, that sucks yeah right and i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna have a fucking great time we're shooting guns we're off-roading you know like doing some pretty cool shit like you know and so i'm like all right like we sit around and people start talking about ethereum and i'm like that shit is a fucking scam and they got butthurt you know they got buttered they were like hey how can you call it a scam like come on man like they you know mark cuban whatever and i'm like i'm like dude you guys are not going to make it but i'll tell you if you want to know like yeah we want to know and then i would like i would like put one sentence out and then they would all start like just i don't know just cutting me off and just talking between each other and how it's blockchain not bitcoin and i'm like i'm like yeah so like tell me about that like you know what's the purpose of a blockchain and then we start talking one guy got super offended though like super offended 
he's like, man, like I have a lot of money in this stuff and you're shitting on it. And I'm like, yeah, like, who cares? Like, if you're so solid in what you're doing, why are you so butthurt? You know, like, I don't care what you guys do. I'm trying to help you guys. That's how I look at it. And then when I told him that he was like, I'm like, look, maybe I, maybe what I'm saying is true, right? Like maybe, right. You can't rule it out. So maybe you should just Google exactly those words. Is Ethereum a scam and why? I'm sure you'll find some stuff, right? And then see what, the, then type in, is Bitcoin a scam and why? And tell me, where is the Bitcoin is a scam going to come from? Jamie Dimon, it's worth nothing. Warren Buffett, Rap Poison, all the people who it threatens their business model, essentially, right? But Ethereum, it's like, no, there's actually like, or any sort of shitcoin, there's actually some sort of affinity you know, security uh, law that they've circumvented and scam people technically, right? Then you have people say, hey, well, how's it a scam if nobody lost money? Well, you know, like it's a scam because it's an enrichment game. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's cr yeah. Nobody's lost money yet. Well, people have lost money on shit coins, just oh, not okay. on Ethereum, right? Not on Ethereum, right? But um, they, they've lost in Bitcoin terms, obviously. When I show them those charts, they kind of like are like, they still don't understand, you know, they don't understand how to look at it, at that be uh, balanced, but I'm definitely not, I'm definitely um, a threat to people's like way of life in a sense, you know, when I talk to them, because if they agree with me, that means that whatever they're doing, they disagree with all of a sudden, which is like very hard conversations to have. But I think they're imperative. Like you're saying, we're in a tough spot. Well, th th it comes down to like the truth is incredibly important right now because like the stakes are, are super high. Like we're not in smooth waters and we're going to be, you know, experiencing a lot of volatility politically, economically, you know, j just with basic food supplies going forward. And, you know, do you want to like for these people, <laughs> are we going to be okay with like, just putting up with their bullshit and not telling them the truth for them to be, you know, unable to retire, unable to, you know, take care of their families and stuff like that. Or are we going to go through the effort to, you know, tell them the truth? And it doesn't mean trying to, you know, convince anybody, but because like there's some people that just won't be convinced. Uh, but like the, this whole, like, this, this is why the toxicity, toxicity saved me from being a shit coiner. You know, where, where people like actually, you know, called me out, you know, for whatever, because I was ignorant and, and I, th I think it's important, you know, because like if they're going to be holding these stupid bags of like Ethereum or Solana or whatever, and, and these, these protocols just do not survive because they're not built to survive. They're, you know, these silly pump and dump, um, scams, it's just you know, it's really unfortunate. And I think it's, I think that's why it's important. So I, I'm totally with you on that hundred percent. Um, well, yeah, we're pretty much on, we're on a very similar page, which is cool. Um, as far as like good resources for people to start learning about, like being a bit more self-sustainable, what, what have you found helpful? Um, I, there's so many books, but, uh, I, I, if you're trying to go more so along the lines of, uh, you know, using your hands and not so many, uh, not so many tools. So you can look at Will Bonzel, which is like radical self-reliant gardening. 
Um, if you want to go also just learn more about permaculture and systems, you know, you can go to the, the basically the originator of, of permaculture, not the originator, but like, you know, they call him like the grandfather of permaculture. His name is Bill Mollison. Um, he has a, a, his textbook is like super thick. I have it here. It's, it's huge. It's a little bit overwhelming, but the design principles, you know, permaculture is design, you know, homesteading is design. Self-sufficiency is, is design. So he has like so many design principles in there for every type of climate almost, right? Cause like what works in the tropics doesn't work in the area, doesn't work in the subtropics or whatever. So um, there's those two books. There's, there's so many books. Some people recommend, I haven't uh, picked it up, but it's like the permaculture handbook, the Gaia permaculture handbook, but I haven't read much of that. Um, I really like the idea of, whatever your vision is, is to go look some, look up somebody who is holding your vision and take as much as you can from that person. So if you want to deal with cattle, so I would suggest your best resource might be just talking to untapped growth on, on Twitter, you know, he'll send you some good books. Um, you know, go on YouTube, YouTube university is a real thing. You know, um, I, I really like the idea of most Shinobu Fukokuo. It's a one straw revolution. Um, he's amazing. I don't know if you know who that is, but um, so Mosinobu Fukuoka was part of a lot of people's like starting off journey. Um, he, his idea is like lazy farming, um, spending the least amount of time doing it, but the most production. And I use a lot of his ethos within the way that I'm building this whole thing up. And I think once it's built and going, I think it'll make a lot of sense um, on how to like reduce, like a lot of people tell me they have, like a lot of farmers tell me that they weed their potatoes a lot. And I'm like, how? Like, how are you getting weeds? I don't understand. Like if you're doing it right, there shouldn't be so many weeds after maybe one. I, I don't have any weeds in my potatoes, like none. I'm growing it in mulch, but I mean mulch, you know, like I don't there's certain things that are just like lazy principles that maximize your time. So, um, Mosinobu Fukokuo, there's like the whole documentaries on him, but it's like natural farming, which is basically like letting it's permaculture essentially. Right. But it's like to an extreme, um, cause agriculture is right intervention with the natural world. But, um, there's, um, there's so many books, man. There's so many books. I think there's this new book, called the the new complete book of self-sufficiency or something it's like a red cover um i posted the link because you can get if you can get a lot of books for free in pdf format before you buy it just to make sure you know and if you if you get so much out of it you can always buy a copy and give it to somebody else and support the author but you know i don't want to spend sometimes 40 dollars or 30 dollars in a book and before i see it so there's ways to get some of these books for free um I don't know how to spell his handle, but Rafa, Bitcoin Twitter, Rafa, it's like T-X-O Paxi. I don't, I don't remember how to write his handle, um, but he has a Dropbox link that I have saved as well of like hundreds of books in PDF and ebook formats. Um, so many, because there's like one book just on Comfrey, for example, you know, um, and I would say that if you really want to learn, come to Twitter come ask questions to the homesteading and Bitcoin community, you know, people who are doing it, ask questions, be like, just tag people, 
Be like, ask a question and don't be scared. Just tag a bunch of people that you see that are into that stuff. And say, hey, I have this fucking question. Everyone will give you an answer, you know? And so, yeah, read, but also interact. Like, uh, I have a growing list of people that I'm tagging in. in uh, I'm trying to do like a once a week or once every two weeks permaculture post that I tag everybody in that really wants to see something that they might learn something from, right? Not just pictures of my harvest. Like, hey, I'm using this for this reason. That's how I'm using it, right? And so anyone who wants to be added to the list, I just say, hey, leave a comment. And just I'm just trying to get the conversations going more. People aren't scared to ask questions, right? And I think uh, just don't be intimidated, whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's food, whether it's whatever it is, just, just ask the questions to the people that you think might have the answer. And if they don't have the answer, they might know who to send you to, right? And I think that's something that I've seen proliferate on Bitcoin Twitter because, yeah, we all share Bitcoin, but then we all come from different backgrounds. Like if I want to know something about timber, like I'm going to, dm ben gunn or i'm going to talk to him in public you know on twitter um if i want to talk about ranching i'm going to talk to untapped growth if i want to talk about um you know other things like uh bitcoin related specific things like hardware wallets i might talk to you know somebody who's ex has experience with all of them you know or most of them somebody uh somebody technical like laser hodl lami whatever you know um yeah that's just my piece on if you're finding information look deep and hard you know but will bonzel i would say start off with will bonzel if you're into the heirloom seed storing and um self-reliant gardening awesome yeah i'll have to check all those out my reading list is so long right now will 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 bonzel is inspiring though like it's a it's a complete it's really complete the guide like i would he even covers human newer like i mean he's been self-sufficient for 40 years he's a veganic gardener though he doesn't use animals. So it's good to take, you know, if you have animals, it's good to take someone who doesn't use any and just combine the two, in my opinion. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, really appreciate you coming on, Shishi. This is awesome. Fuck yeah, Tuxin. Anytime, man. And uh, I hope to come on maybe in a year from now and talk to you about all, you know, all the changes and developments and, you know, progress and hear what you're doing, you know, see the progress that we both have come after a couple of years. That'd be fantastic. That was an awesome conversation with Shishi. A big thank you for him coming on. Make sure to go follow him on Twitter. But yeah, um, he brought us some really great points to the conversation. I think this idea of a mesh Adele, of creating these decentralized networks of people uh, voluntarily interacting with each other is going to be incredibly important in the future because you know, what we're walking into is just increased volatility. And, you know, we have the ability to mitigate some of that volatility, the impact of it in our own lives uh, by creating networks of people that produce things of value together. And uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the state hates us. They're going to try and disrupt us. We have to be creative around these things. But, you know, freedom is something that is inherent to human beings and something that they can try as hard as they want to suppress in us but will fail to and central planning always fails and markets always win and these are things to be incredibly excited about and we have this incredibly powerful tool in bitcoin that they cannot stop they cannot censor our transactions and if stored correctly it's very difficult for them to confiscate from us so these are things that are really 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 exciting in the face of just insanity in the face of this clown world that we're in but yeah big thank you again for shishi coming on 
follow him on Twitter, check out his work, shoot him DMs. If you got questions, I'm going to be asking him questions about, uh, you know, home gardening and stuff like that. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode and have a good one.